Welcome to Soft Landing, the podcast that makes interior design accessible to everyone. Hey guys, I'm Amy. I'm an interior designer, artist, and space planner. I'm here to talk about everything you need to know about interior design, from furniture to finances. I'm sharing over a decade of experience to help you find real design solutions and craft the space of your dreams. Well, hello there, Landing Crew, and thank you so much for tuning in to episode 41. If your week is going anything like my week, wow, congratulations, you've made it this far and you're killing it. Let's have a little fun, huh? This podcast exists to help you as you make decisions for your home, your small business space, and even your dream mansion one day in the future. There are so many little things to think about. And when you make the decision to hire and work with an interior designer, their biggest job is to keep you looking at the bigger picture with every micro decision you make. And this podcast strives to do that for those of you who are not working with an interior designer for whatever reason. Or maybe you are working with a designer and you just can't get on the same page. I got you. There are so many reasons you might choose not to work with an interior designer, whether it's because you think your project isn't big enough to warrant an interior designer, or you feel like you don't have time to find one, or you don't know where to start looking for one. Maybe you feel like you can't afford it, or maybe you literally are just in the dreaming and scheming phase and you really won't be renovating or building anytime in the near future. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't have access to really critical ways of thinking and things to consider as you explore the fantasy world of design. Today, we are going to talk about one particular major concept that is critical to understand if you want to keep your DIY projects from looking like DIY projects. We've all had that awkward moment where someone comes over and sees a creation we've poured our hearts into and they scrunch up their face and they say those dreaded words. Did you make that yourself? And Even if you are working with a professional contractor or builder, the design choices you make and direct that professional to execute are a reflection of your knowledge and understanding of architecture and interior design. There is one thing in particular that's a dead giveaway that someone didn't do their design fundamentals homework. I guess it's less of a thing and more of a philosophy. And hey, there's definitely nuance here and I'm going to break down this idea and I'm also going to let you know when you can break this rule. But I promise if you integrate this idea into your design thinking, your game is going to feel completely up-leveled. Like rather than guests asking if you did something yourself, they're going to be asking for your architect's phone number. And spoiler alert, you don't have one. Let me explain a little bit. This is a concept that every architect and designer gets hammered into their heads maybe the first or second semester of design school, but it's not something that I've seen really permeate into the general renovation and do-it-yourself culture, and it's time to shed some light on it, I say, because even though there have been times when I feel like this philosophy I'm going to share with you can be 
pretentious in nature, frankly. I do think there's an important backbone behind it, and I'm going to talk about the pros and the cons of this idea because I think that people who tackle projects themselves don't always stick to these principles for a good reason, and we're going to talk through it. So, what am I talking about? I am talking about the concept of architectural authenticity. This is the idea that structural architectural elements and building materials, which include columns, floor joists, ceiling beams, structural concrete masonry units, and brick, should only be used when they are truly a part of the building's structural system. If these terms are unfamiliar to you, congratulations, you probably aren't professionally involved in the construction world, so let's do a glossary overview. The term column is more commonly referred to as a post or a pillar. Sometimes I hear people call them poles if they're thin. This is a vertical load-bearing element that is part of the bones of a building. If you've ever created any kind of a fort with pillows and blankets, you know that finding something to serve as the vertical structural element is critical, whether it's a sturdy chair or a tall bed frame. This is the most important part to get your fort started, and this is true in real buildings too. Column sizes, how many are needed, how far apart they're spaced are all calculated by a structural engineer. A common question I hear from both clients and my students is, can we move or remove the column? And the short answer is yes, but the longer answer usually ends up being no, because you can certainly move a column, but in doing so, the structural skeleton of the building will need to be recalibrated, which usually includes adding structure somewhere else to compensate. And that can end up being an unexpected costly item. So for instance, if you have a column in between your living room and your dining room and you want to create an open plan space by removing the column, you'll have to add a larger structural ceiling element to span the void created by removing that column. And that larger ceiling beam, in some cases, might have to be really big, like so big it obstructs your beautiful open view in your kitchen slash living room to the point where they still feel like two separate rooms. In some ways, it's like whack-a-mole. Every action has an equal reaction. And this reworking comes with a cost, which typically ends up ending the conversation around moving or removing a column from any project. I'm trying to think. In the 15 years I've been working in interior design, how many times has a column actually been removed from a project? Nothing is coming to mind. It, it has to have happened once. Now, how many times does the conversation come up around removing or removing a column? Probably every other project. People always want to talk about it. Once there's a cost associated with it, nobody wants to talk about it again. It's, it's a big ticket item. Okay, back to our glossary. So I mentioned ceiling beams just now. Let's define those. Ceilings and floors are often built using lumber joists and beams that form a grid to create the skeleton of the ceiling and floor. Ceiling joists also support walls to stop them from toppling in or out like a house of cards. And in many cases, they help support the roof. 
Beams are the larger, more load-bearing components, and joists are the smaller, intermediate supports. Just like columns, the size and placement of joists and beams are calculated by a structural engineer or an architect, and each one plays a role in the overall support structure of the building. If you were thinking about adding or moving a staircase, the ceiling and floor joists would need to be recalibrated, recalculated, and reconfigured to support all of the building and also the new stair. Okay, what about concrete masonry units, or CMU? These are what most people refer to as cinder blocks. And when they're not being used to prop up that car you're fixing up, they are an integral component of foundations and load-bearing walls. Sometimes you'll even see these sealed or glazed as a finished wall in more industrial-feeling spaces. In fact, I have a pretty vivid memory of staring at brightly painted CMU walls all through elementary school. And then, of course, there's brick. You guys are really smart and don't need me to tell you what brick is, but one thing we should discuss is that prior to the Industrial Revolution, even into the early 1900s, brick walls were stacked up extra thick and used as load-bearing walls. Today, that would be considered a huge waste of time and resources with the invention of steel and the aforementioned CMU, but you'll find load-bearing brick walls in plenty of old homes. Okay, all this to say, these are things we see in our everyday lives, in the buildings we live and work in, where we drop our kids off at school, in stores and gyms and at the DMV, but nobody really focuses too much on any of these structural components, and that's not a bad thing. Most of the time, they're covered up anyways, but it has resulted in some of the importance and function of these elements being taken for granted, and therefore sometimes emulated, represented, and straight up faked in all kinds of instances. I've seen countless faux brick walls on various how-tos. I've seen home makeovers that add exposed quote-unquote ceiling joists on top of finished drywall to warm up a room. I've seen columns added to a room to create symmetry and framing. That's a big one, and there's some complexity there, so I'm going to circle back to that. And this is all the mortal sin of architectural authenticity, faking structure. It will get you eye-rolled out of professional office settings, lectured out of educational studios, and gossiped about at industry gatherings. So what's the big deal, right? I often take the side that this point of view can be too rigid and pretentious and academically oriented, and it doesn't really matter to the people who inhabit the buildings in the end. And yet, I find myself coming back to this philosophy anytime I see a tutorial online that suggests doing something like painting a brick stencil on your living room wall. We have to take a look at the why of this concept to really understand what's going on, psychologically speaking. There are many interior designers, decorators, do-it-yourself tutorials, and homeowners that are guilty of breaking these rules. And a lot of times, when these rules get broken, there's an important intent behind it. 
there might be a need to bring balance or symmetry to a room that feels off kilter or lacking a focal point or including some kind of warmth and texture that doesn't feel completely frivolous. And it wouldn't feel frivolous if it looked like it was a necessary part of the building. There's a problem that needs to be solved, and for some reason the idea of displaying structure seems to solve it in some people's minds, only that structure doesn't actually exist. There are so many charming architectural features that we love seeing, from adorable brick walls, elaborately carved gargoyles, impressive flying buttresses, gorgeous brick arches with decorative center keystones, traditional column capitals with storytelling entablatures above, to precious iron mullions that separate tiny panels of decorative glass. It's all exceptionally gorgeous, and I would argue there's an important role that these architectural devices play in our hearts and minds because they really engage us in an active play with nostalgia. Whether it reminds us of a special time or a place in our lives, or it's the mere fantasy of a bygone era we never got to experience. These architectural devices feel cozy, familiar, and they can even bring a sense of safety to us. But each and every one of these elements was invented for a specific functional purpose. They're like markers in time in terms of construction technology. They've all outlived their purpose, and when you see them in new buildings, they're completely decorative in their use. And if, as we love to say, form follows function, what are we doing adding these old-time dinosaurs to our brand new buildings? It's kind of like, you can use a typewriter if you like, and it's fun and charming and old-timey, but there's a whole cool world of advances in computer technology. You might want to check it out. I think bricks are the best and most intriguing example of this. As I mentioned, bricks were used to provide the actual structure for walls of a building. Today, there are much more efficient methods of structure, such as steel. So anytime you see bricks on a new building, you can bet your bottom dollar it's decorative. This includes the skin or cladding on the outside of a building. Sure, the bricks provide a layer of weather protection, but they aren't what the building is actually made of. They are literally just the outfit the building is wearing to make people feel good and enjoy looking at the building. Which isn't a bad thing, but can't we push forward and use the construction elements present today to build new and innovative decorative elements? One exception I can think of where bricks are still used functionally is for a fireplace, where they're really providing protection from the soot and heat of the fire, so take that for what you will. They've still got some practical use. Another example is one of the biggest trends to sweep home decor in decades, which I predict is actually swiftly on its way out, and that's shiplap. Now, shiplap is a real building material in older homes. It's a variation of lath and plaster, and it's how walls were actually built in lieu of drywall. This trend started because the idea was to expose and restore the wood element of 
existing shiplap in older homes rather than covering it up with drywall, which is genius and beautiful. But once we began applying new wood on top of drywall in new homes in an attempt to fake the shiplap, that's when the beauty of it all starts to sour. Wood in general is another important topic to talk through, although it's slightly different from the structural components we just talked about. Wood is one of the most commonly emulated materials in all of interior design. There's plastic laminate that looks like wood, vinyl flooring that looks like wood, porcelain tile that looks like wood, fabric that looks like wood, and even metal that looks like wood. Humans love wood. And I want to be clear on why this occurrence of emulating wood is so prevalent. It's twofold. Wood can actually be really expensive. Depending on the species and the cut, you can spend a pretty penny on anything that's truly wood, which I think there's still a connotation that wood is simple and humble and accessible, but it's actually a premium building material. Things like laminate and vinyl will always be cheaper than real wood. Secondly, wood can be high maintenance to take care of. It's porous, it doesn't play well with water, it can stain and discolor easily, it dents and chips, and it really can't take a beating. I say all this to acknowledge that the prevalence of faux wood comes from a very reasonable line of thought. We want the warm look at a lower price tag and a simple maintenance plan. And honestly, I think this is an instance where there are plenty of products that look like wood but aren't and still look good. There's the term faux bois, which is French, and it's the use of wood as a pattern. And it can be very chic. It's really all about the quality of the patterning. If you see that the wood pattern is repeated in very small sections and it looks like there isn't a lot of variation in the pattern. It's just the same little section repeated over and over again. That's when these types of products start to look cheap. You want a pattern with a large repeat and preferably multiple sections of the pattern. And I wanted to circle back to the idea of adding columns in a space. I've worked on projects where we did this. If there's a rogue single column in a room, it can make a lot of sense to build a sibling column that creates a mirror image so it doesn't stand out so much. And in that instance, I think it can be acceptable. It's not my first idea or my go-to solution. I think there are more interesting workarounds like making the column have a feature material. You can cover it in chalkboard paint or a mirror or something just a little bit different. But there are times when it makes sense to create a non-structural column for the sake of design balance. But I would just like to reiterate that is the exception and not the rule. Okay, so if we follow this line of thinking down the rabbit hole, architectural authenticity, nothing is fake. This means no decorative brick walls, no adding columns just for column's sake, no applied wood beams in the ceiling. Then the question becomes, what do we do instead? Because modern means of construction are so focused on efficiency and cost effectiveness, they aren't always exactly something to be displayed for their beauty. And most walls and ceilings are simply masked with drywall and painted. You get a plain old white box, and trust me, this is by design. 
The mid-century modernists who worked to strip away all the unnecessary decorative elements in a building helped to streamline the construction process as well. And less decoration means less work for churn and burn developers. But that's another topic. One of the first things you should do, especially if you live in an older home, is to assess the structural bones in your space. This may include having an engineer come and do a wall probe. You could actually have a beautiful structural brick wall hiding behind layers of plaster and by all means expose that beauty. If you have carpet or any kind of lay down flooring, you can pull up an inconspicuous corner in the back of a room and see what kind of subflooring is below. You might be surprised. There are so many homes with beautiful hardwood floors that were covered up in the 80s. If you do have these existing architectural elements in your home, in my honest opinion, it's your duty as a homeowner to display them. People are literally faking them in new build construction, so you have something authentic and original in your home. Treat it like gold, polish it up, and display it. There are so many people who will rip everything out of their homes in the attempt to start with a blank canvas, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, please. If you're dealing with a newer building, it's all good. There might not be anything to unearth, but that gives you a clear conscience about moving forward with decorating with wild abandon. The amazing thing about the time we are living in is that we have so many options when it comes to material choices. You can incorporate any color of the rainbow into your home in so many different ways. And materials are being created and innovated on every day. If you're loving the wood look, but want to try something other than the reclaimed shiplap look, consider other kinds of woods that are more unapologetically decorative. Tambourine is a great example of this. This is a material that is flexible in nature, usually small half round wood dowels that are glued to a paper backing. Tambor was used in storage furniture to create sliding track doors, but it's coming back as a wall and cabinet finish today. Wood tambouring looks refined and playful at the same time, but it's so delicate that there's no way anyone would mistake it for a structural element. You can also look at decorative wood panels that are carved or routed to have more sophisticated and intentional shaping, including geometric patterns, perforations, and thin square slats. Any of these panel types will work on the ceiling as well. Instead of building out beams that aren't there, you can cover the entire ceiling in these wood panels so that there is a significant amount of warmth across the entire ceiling plane without emulating structure. Okay, here's an idea that will blow your mind. Have you ever heard of this thing called wallpaper? Okay, I'm joking, but seriously, there are so many types of wall coverings available today. You can use something as simple as a geometric pattern or a bold botanical mural to non-paper materials with real depth and richness like felt or cork. And wallpaper comes in a peel and stick option, which is great for renters or anyone who likes to change things up regularly. In fact, I think if you use a wallpaper that has a wood pattern to it and you intentionally turn it on its head and maybe use an unusual color or even a metallic just to be clear that you're not trying to pretend it's really wood, you're just taking inspiration from it. That's a great use of faux bois. And if adhering a textile to the wall isn't quite your thing, consider the option of curtains. 
Installing a ceiling-mounted drapery track along a wall with an extra-long, double-fullness, sheer or colorful drapery can transform a room in ways that you have to see to believe. And please, do not misunderstand. This is not the same thing as hanging up a single blanket on the wall a la a college dorm. I am talking about permanent hardware and lush, flowy textiles that span from floor to ceiling. This is such a dramatic and sophisticated look, and if you've ever seen the lobby of the Delano Hotel in Miami, you know what I'm talking about, and if you haven't, I will link that in the show notes. And as I've said before, and I'll say again, don't be afraid to experiment with colors through paint. The world of warm neutrals can bring a lot of the same coziness of wood without that trying too hard vibe. You can also reach into the bag of tricks of the earliest interior designers and create a wall of mirrors. Not only will this double the visual real estate of your room, it effectively erases the wall itself. And if floor-to-ceiling mirrors isn't in the cards for you, you can still set up a series of framed mirrors to have a similar effect. Just remember to stick to odd numbers of mirrors for a complete look. And of course, you can show off a beautiful collection of art or buy one quickly on Etsy just to have something to liven up your walls. You can't go wrong with an oversized statement piece that takes up half the wall, but other options that look great include a three-piece series that are all the same size with matching frames, or of course there's the beloved asymmetrical gallery wall. Okay, so I've said my piece on authenticity today, and if anything, I want you to walk away with an appreciation for our built environment, what it is you're looking at, and why it's all there. Maybe the next time you see a column, you'll knock on it to see if it's hollow inside, or maybe you'd rather not embarrass yourself in public like I do. Your call. But when you make choices for your space, they matter both for your own enjoyment of the space and as an expression of the story of the building itself. Incorporating architectural authenticity into your design choices will make your home, office, or any other space look exceptionally professional. Until next time, stay grounded. 